Once again, Formula One heading to a place that has been off the calendar for a number of years. We're heading to Suzuka for the Japanese Grand Prix. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. Glad you could be with us. We're going to go over the Japanese Grand Prix, give you the five storylines to watch out for, track circuit talk. We're going to go over the top five Badafan from Singapore. And we'll also briefly discuss two stories making their way around Formula One. One is kind of fun. Um, Sergio Perez winning at the Singapore Grand Prix. People have been saying it's his best drive and best win to date. I'm going to disagree slightly with that. We've got a little bit of a conversation going there. And we'll also talk about the news that there's been an accusation by two teams that they went over the cap, the spending cap. There's going to be a, a decision and an announcement coming up on Monday about the investigation into that. We'll talk about why that's important and where that is heading. So the Japanese Grand Prix is one of the more popular races on the circuit. Why? Because of Suzuka. It's a fantastic track. And for a lot of you who are new to Formula One, it's been a while since we raced at the Japanese Grand Prix. Valtteri Bottas winning there in 2019. And like Singapore, due to COVID, it was not on the calendar for 2020 and 2021. So we're back at a pretty popular location for Formula One. Japanese fans are great. They love the sport. They come out in droves, like a lot of places around the world. But there is something special about this circuit and about the atmosphere that surrounds the Japanese Grand Prix. It is rich in the history of the sport. A number of titles were decided there. So there is a sense of history that goes in, that's involved in the Japanese connection to Formula One. I'm personally glad it's back. It's one of my favorite circuits on the calendar. Nevertheless, there are five storylines that we got to get to for this weekend's Japanese Grand Prix. And that's where we start here on the Overtake F1 podcast. Once again, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. I can't stress it enough. It really helps us out. Um, it, it won't take that long. And if you could share this podcast with your friends, I'd greatly appreciate it as well. If you'd like to reach me for any reason, hit me up on Twitter at Tony D radio. I am also a sports radio show host for sports map radio. You can reach me at Tony D radio show at yahoo.com. So let's start with number one on the five storylines to get to for this weekend. And one, it is Max Verstappen. Can Max win the championship in Japan? This is similar to a point that we made in our Singapore Grand Prix preview, which was here's a chance with some mathematics that Max can win the championship. But in this case, it's a little bit more cut and dried. If he wins this Grand Prix and has the fastest lap, he's going to be the world champion. And that's it. That's all he needs. Now, if he doesn't win the Grand Prix, then you got to factor in the two other people that are involved in the process, and that's Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez. He needs to beat Leclerc by eight, Sergio Perez by six. If he finishes seventh in this Grand Prix, it won't matter where those two other guys finish. He won't win the title because the most he can get out of a seventh place finish is seven points, six and then a fastest lap. That's not enough to mathematically win the title in Japan. If he finishes six and there's two DNFs by, by the other two drivers, he'll claim the championship. So if he doesn't win, there's some manipulation here, but right out of the gate, win the, win the Grand Prix, it doesn't matter if both of those guys are on the podium with you, and if you have the fastest lap, Max, you are going to be the champion. The thing about this is there's a lot of races left in terms, there's like five races left, right? There's Japan, Austin, Mexico, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi. That's still a lot, and Max is going to win the 2022 world championship, but where is he going to win it? That's kind of the question. Will he win it at Suzuka? Will he win it in Austin? My goodness, if he has two horrible races, will he win it in Mexico? But eventually he's going to be crowned the world champion. But every single race until that happens, that's what we're going to be doing. I guarantee you, if this is not crowned this weekend, my first thing out of the gate in the U.S. Grand Prix preview is going to be Max Verstappen's chances of winning the championship, which is basically finishing the points by that point, probably. 
The number two thing to watch out for, and this is something I've been harping on for a while, so this is more personal to me than maybe an overriding storyline, but it's Mercedes and can they bounce back this weekend? Because Singapore was a pretty bad race for the Silver Arrows. Lewis Hamilton was not a factor. George Russell finished P14. He didn't get out of Q2 on Saturday, took an engine upgrade, started on pit lane. He was one of the first drivers on slicks as they were trying to figure out that strategy. It really didn't help him. They only got two points for the team. And in this race for P2 in the constructor standings, their chances of catching Ferrari took a big hit. Like I said earlier, Russell took a new power unit, started from pit lane, first driver on slicks, but none of that resulted in something that could help him get out of the bottom. There is even a lot of attrition at Singapore. A lot of drivers were out of the Grand Prix and he still couldn't find his way up to somewhere near 10th or, or 9th or whatnot to get a little bit of points for the team. I may be wrong about my prediction, and I made this when I started to see them struggle early this year, that they were going to win a race this season. I still said, look, despite Mercedes' struggles, and certainly preseason testing had an eye-opener for us, a couple of the first races of the year, we were kind of like, oh, what's going on with them? But the reality of it is, I thought at some point they were going to come together and win a race this year. I'm still going to hold on to that. There's still five races remaining. I want to see, though, if they can get back into some sort of form in Japan. They were on quite a roll for a while, especially Russell. This was his second finish outside the top five this year. And the other one, remember, was a crash right off the grid at the start of the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. So he has had a very, very consistent year. It looked like Lewis Hamilton was really starting to get competitive. Look, they're going to need some help to win a Grand Prix. Of course, it would help if Max had an engine failure or something. But I do think that somewhere along the lines in these five races, they're going to pull something out and they are going to win a Grand Prix at some point this year. Could it be at Japan? It's been Hamilton country for a while. It's been Mercedes country for a while, but these are new cars and this is a new machine. So we'll wait and see. Third, the return of Suzuka. Oh man. Oh man. I, I cannot wait for FP one on Friday. Suzuka is back. The sport much better for it. The circuit is fantastic. The atmosphere is electric. It's just really popular spot for the drivers. They love their way this track is laid out. We will talk more about it when we get to our track talk segment, but if you go along the grid and you ask any of the drivers to name their favorite circuits, Suzuka is going to be on the list. Almost all of them are going to say so. They're going to talk about some of the high-speed corners. They're going to talk about the fans, the layout, the atmosphere. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I'm honest. I'm not one of these raw raw formula one guys that loves every location there are tracks i can't stand i didn't miss sochi at all i know there were world circumstances that sort of prevented formula one from going to the russian grand prix but if i never see that track again i'm glad they were supposed to move it to saint petersburg but i don't think they're going to russia for quite some time now there are other circuits Eh, wake me up when it's over. I'm not a big fan of the layout, but this one I, I am. I love Suzuka. So I hope you do too if you're new to Formula One. And if you're not, and you've been around the sport for a while, you know the, that this sport has had a lot of importance uh, in the history of Formula One. You know, well, the, the Grand Prix has had an importance in Formula One. When it was at Fiji or whether it was at Suzuka, there's been a lot of uh, certain circumstances for this race. But the return of this particular track is really important. So we'll get to that coming up in our track talk segment. The number four thing uh, is the other constructors battles that are going on. All right. With five races remaining, we might as well do this, right? There are some tight bite, 
tight battles in the constructors race. Red Bull is running away with the top spot. So you want not look at the other battles going on because we're nearing the end of the season with five races remaining. Ferrari leads Mercedes by 66 points for P2. That got a lot wider after Singapore where Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz finished 2-3. Mercedes managed just two points. So a 31-point addition to Ferrari's lead makes this a little less dramatic than it was a Grand Prix ago before we went to Singapore. McLaren, they lead Alpine by just four points. Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo finishing with 22 points at Singapore. One of their best weekends ever. And Alpine got nada, zilch, nothing. Second straight race at Alpine did not get any points as a team. This has been the best battle in the constructors' standings all season long between these two. They have been tied at times. The difference has been by single digits like it is now. It's gone back and forth. This is the best battle in the constructors this year. And hello, Aston Martin, 12-point haul at Singapore. They are in a nice four-team battle for P6. Right now, Alfa Romeo's got that spot. They got 52 points. Martin Aston Martin is 15 back. Haas and Alfatari are both 18 points back, tied with 34 points. So those four teams are all vying for P6, all within a reasonable distance of each other as we head to the final five. Look, every position matters a lot when it comes to money. It's not the sexiest thing, but like if you're not in the top three, Look, we just need something. Okay, Red Bull's running away with this, all right? So let's, let's, might as well go down to the pecking order and, and figure out the constructors' battles. All right, and the final thing to watch out for at the uh, J- Japanese Grand Prix is Ferrari. Will they get back on the win column? It has been a long time since the Scuderia run a, won a race. You have to go back to Austria in the early July of the calendar when Charles Leclerc took the top spot. And it came after Carlos Sainz won at Silverstone. Since then, this has all been Max Verstappen and then Sergio Perez won at Singapore, so you can say it's been all Red Bull, right? I've said time and time again on this podcast, and I'm so disappointed that this season didn't turn into the great Red Bull-Ferrari battle. I'd love to see Ferrari just pull out one more win here, all right? The problem is Red Bull. It's got a car that is just so much better. Look at what happened at Singapore, for crying out loud, right? Perez is leading the race. Leclerc is trying to close the gap. Word kind of comes down that he's being investigated for um, a safety car violation and that he could be penalized. So Ferrari tells Charles Leclerc about this. You got to close the gap. It could be a five-second penalty. They tell Sergio Perez, hey, you could be uh, uh, get a five-second penalty. You might as well increase the gap. What does he do? He increases the gap. He's able to just run away from Charles Leclerc. Leclerc cannot stay in the five-second window. Perez gets not only the penalty, but it doesn't matter because he keeps the win because he's had too big of a lead. That's the difference between the two cars. When one had an opportunity to win the Grand Prix without any overtaking at all, just get on the guy's back bumper, they couldn't do it. That's how strong Sergio Perez and Red Bull have been this season. All right, let's get to track talk and let's talk Suzuka. It is amazing. As I mentioned earlier, very, very popular track among the drivers. It's a circuit that went through some changes of what we have today, but it still holds its general design. It started hosting F1 races in 1987 after the series stopped running the Japanese Grand Prix from 78 to 1986. Fuji got it back for a few years before F1 returned it to Suzuka in 2009. COVID-19 postponed races in 2020, 2021. That's why we're here today talking about it 
finally coming back on the calendar. Now, there are four drivers that are on the grid who have won this Grand Prix. Fernando Alonso has two wins. Sebastian Vettel has four. Lewis Hamilton has five. And Valtteri Bottas, the one lone win the last time the Japanese Grand Prix was run in 2019. So let's go over the track a little bit. I'll try to give you a description of it. If you really aren't familiar with it, there's plenty of images on the internet. You can follow along and it's, it's just, it's, it's a figure eight circuit. So after the cars get off the grid, they're going to head down to a sweeping right-hander and then it's going to be uphill to, through a series of S's. That's going to lead to the Dunlop turn, medium speed left-hander. And after another high speed right, there's a little bit of a brief run and then they're going to come to the hairpin. And that's like kind of like Monaco. It goes to the left. They sweep right and then they get into spoon. It's a long sort of left-hand turn that leads to the backstretch. And that is where guys are going to really get on the accelerator. And that's going to lead them into 130R. It's one of the more notorious left-hand turns in the world because the cars will be taking some real speed through that left-hand corner, just flying around that corner. Then they're going to be breaking into a chicane before heading out to the front stretch. Suzuka is a figure eight circuit. It's backstretch into 130R actually runs on an overpass that goes over the track. It's a really wild design. It has the same numbers of left-hand turns as they do right-hand turns. So there's going to be equal demand on the tires. Pirelli bringing the hardest compounds they've got. C1 for the hard, C2 for the medium, C3 for the softs. As for the Grand Prix coming up on Sunday, it'll be 53 laps around the circuit. So there you go, Suzuka. I know I don't do a great job describing it, but it just gives you an idea of some of the some of the. Um, interesting corners that the circuit has. All right, so now let's go over Singapore because um, I had a family emergency this week. I had to deal with some things are okay, but I had my attention diverted for a first couple of days of the week. And so I did not get to the studio to do a Singapore Grand Prix review. I just could not do it. And by the time I could do it, it was just better to sort of combine it into one podcast. We're going to do top five, bottom five from Singapore. Then we'll talk a little bit about what happened at that particular Grand Prix. So let's start with bottom five. And as I tell you all the time, bottom five can be anything, drivers, teams, circumstances, whatever. We sort of leave it wide open. But number five is going to be a driver, and that's George Russell. He did take a grid penalty and a new upgrade, had to start from pit lane. But there was so much attrition in this race, I was really surprised that Russell couldn't get himself back into the top 10. Not run near the top, but get into some sort of top 10. He was the first driver to take slicks. That was pretty bold because it was a nothing-to-lose decision, and I like that. But this was his worst finish of the year, being that he finished the Grand Prix. Remember, at Silverstone, first you know, crash right out of the gate. But as far as being able to run a Grand Prix, get to the end, this is his worst finish. This is also his only other outside top five finish that he's had this year. Like I said before, extremely consistent. Uh, but this was a, not a good race for George Russell and Mercedes together. Number four, Alpine, because it was a really bad day for both Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon. Both did not finish this race. Falling back to McLaren for P4 in the constructors, as we previously mentioned, both cars were tiring due to technical issues. Three in our bottom five is going to be Lewis Hamilton. He finished P9, really disappointed because he expected a little bit more. But I think the weekend kind of got away from Mercedes a little bit. Um, he he was he locked up in, in turn seven at one point in the Grand Prix. He was never really a factor in this race. And he even said afterwards there were a little bit of hope going into this. Russell downplayed it a little bit more than Hamilton did, but Hamilton was really 
kind of excited about what Singapore could bring for the team. And it just ended up being a pretty disappointing weekend. Number two is Max Verstappen because there was a lot of attention on Max with his chance to win the championship in Singapore. But remember he had a abort qualifying because of fuel. He had a poor start, the anti-stall, he dropped down to 12. He did recover, but he never made the push to the front that we've seen before. It's really hard to overtake at Singapore and there were tricky conditions. You weren't really going to go in certain spots on the track. So there were, circumstances surrounding why Max Verstappen couldn't get back up up in the field, but he finished seventh. And you know what? When Max Verstappen doesn't win races, we wonder why. And when he finishes outside the top five, we really wonder why. And so I got to put him in the bottom five. And number one, the race stewards. And I put them here for this reason. Even though Sergio Perez was penalized and it didn't affect him at all, I don't like the fact that we have to wait and wait and wait and wait for a decision. I think David Croft was right. Let's make a decision. Let's let the race play out based on that decision. You have all the evidence that you need. If the driver wants to appeal it, let the driver appeal it. But let the drivers and the teams know the circumstance at the time. Like, it's not something that you need to go talk about later. Send him in for a penalty if it's a stop-and-go penalty. Give him five seconds and tell him he's got a five-second penalty. They did that with Perez, and he was able to extend the gap. So in the end, the penalty didn't hurt him. But I agree with the idea that we don't need to be waiting around two hours after a Grand Prix to make it official. Make it official at that moment and let it appeal later. See, I like sports because in the end, it is supposed to be decided on the field and that we do not in look back on results and say, well, a, a decision was made incorrectly here. A ruling was not right here. They blew that call here. We let it play out and go, yeah, that's just the way the sport goes. And motorsports is different in a lot of ways because you do need to make sure the cars, they're, they're, they're all legal. Nobody was cheating. Nobody was placing something in the car that they, that, sh that shouldn't be there. So I understand inspections and docking teams, points and whatnot based on the post-race inspection of a race. It happens in all series. That's fine. But in this particular case, that wasn't it. It was a penalty, much like a penalty flag in football or an umpire's decision in baseball. And then the penalty was, we'll review it after this is over. And I wouldn't accept that in an NBA game, and I wouldn't accept that in an NFL game, and I don't know why we would accept that in motorsports. If you look at the evidence, and you're watching the evidence, make a decision. And then tell the teams as quickly as possible, you've made the decision. You don't want to hear their side. Let, it, let them hear it in appeal. Right? Let the, talk to the teams later in appeal. But make the decision and lock it in. And that's it. I... I said it after Abu Dhabi. I did not think that Formula One needed to change the result of that Grand Prix based on Michael Massey's decision. That was locked in, celebration, fireworks, let it stand. Let the controversy stand. If this ended up being controversial, which it's not, but if it did, let it stand. Race stewards, I think, just kind of blew this one. And I, I don't like the process at all. So I'm putting them in the bottom five. All right, let's get to the top five in the Singapore Grand Prix. And let's start with Carlos Sainz. I'm not saying he was lost in the shuffle or anything, but Sainz finished third, and I kind of barely noticed him. I'll be honest with you. He got a good start. He struggled at times. He recovered. He got on the podium. There were tricky conditions, and he didn't make a mistake. Um, I didn't mean to miss you, Carlos, but congratulations on getting on that podium. He's five in our top five. Number five, I'm giving it to McLaren. Lando Norris with a P4 finish. Daniel Ricciardo finished behind him in P5. Great day for the team and allowed them to pull away from Alpine, who had a double DNF. Number three, uh, 
Number three, Aston Martin, especially Lance Stroll. He had a very good run at Singapore. And again, it puts him right back into this conversation for P6 in the constructor standings. That's another one that didn't make a mistake. He wasn't involved in any sort of kerfuffle or anything like that in the race day. Just had a nice, solid result. A good run at Singapore. Didn't make mistakes on a tricky day. The team made the right strategy calls. Sebastian Vettel finished in the points as well. So more Stroll, but I'm giving it to the team. They are three in my top five number two i almost kept him out but all right he finished second that's charles leclerc i was really disappointed he couldn't close that gap to perez knowing what was on the line knowing that you could win a race without an overtake just get close he couldn't get close red bull just had that pull away speed man they really did when they wanted that extra oomph they got that extra oomph charles leclerc couldn't get to him Leclerc's had a wild season, man. He was the number one driver at the beginning of the year. I remember so many people after Australia, who's going to catch Leclerc? Who's going to catch Ferrari? I'm like, hold on, man. It's a long season. You never know with this thing. And sure enough, that's the way it is. Both Leclerc and Sainz have been victims of Ferrari's bad calls, bad strategies, huge mistakes. Leclerc's also contributed to some of those failures as well. But I think I'm going to give him credit for this one. This was a solid finish for the team that's just wanting good results. They got both of their drivers on the podium. Yep, they're disappointed. They couldn't beat Red Bull again. And this time with Max Verstappen struggling, they couldn't beat the other guy, who they've beaten a lot of times this year. But in the end, I pull myself back and I don't want to go what if. I'd rather go congratulations Ferrari and Leclerc. And signs both being on the podium at Singapore. But the number one guy is Sergio Perez. A brilliant drive that we'll, we'll dive into a little bit later in the next segment. He wins both at Monaco and Singapore. Both races delayed by rain. Both finishing under the timer. But when it looked like he was going to suffer that five-second penalty, he had the extra push, and that's what made the difference. He extended his lead over Leclerc, and that gave him the buffer that he needed when it was all said and done. He jumped right out into the lead on the first lap. Let's not forget that. He took it from there. It was difficult conditions, and he did not put a foot wrong. So that's going to lead me to my next segment here on the podcast, and that is, was this Sergio Perez's best victory? So I'm a big-picture guy. And I like to look things in a larger lens. So to me, Sergio Perez, this would be his second best victory, but by just a little bit, right under number one. Now, Perez has won in Baku in 2021. He won at Monaco this year. He's won at Singapore this year. And the number one race to me is always going to be the secure Grand Prix when he was running for Racing Point, where he was last at one point and was able to win the race. Now, I know some of you out there are like, no, 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 no. This Singapore Grand Prix, he didn't put a foot wrong. He got the lead right away. He ran a great race. And I will not disagree with that whatsoever. That's why it's second by a hair, hair here, really small. But I think in a big picture, I like to look at the circumstance of the secure Grand Prix. Now, if you go back to 2020, if you remember, this was sort of a altered track from the Bahrain Grand Prix. So if you remember what Bahrain looked like, and then they sort of made it a shorter circuit, but it was also a Grand Prix that Lewis Hamilton wasn't in and George Russell was driving in the Mercedes in his place. Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc got into an accident. Perez was caught up in that accident. But the one thing that makes it the best ride for me in his career is the circumstances that were surrounding it. He was not going to be brought back next season. Ash Racing Point was going to turn into Ashton Martin. 
Sebastian Vettel was going to be on that team. Lance Stroll was certainly not going to go anywhere. So Perez was out of a ride. And we still didn't know he was going to go to Red Bull even after he was on the podium celebrating the win. People honestly did not know what was going to happen to him. Right? And it was after that Grand Prix that there was a lot of talk about Sergio Perez becoming the second driver at Red Bull, replacing Alex Albon. And that's what happened. So to get tangled up in sort of a a little accident where you get back onto the track and now you find yourself last. Now, remember he took an early pit stop and that helps when you take a pit stop and you're able to kind of use your tires, get back in the thick of things. And then everybody else is pitting their normal pit stops and you are able to kind of go past them. And you're a tire whisperer that Sergio Perez is. That's why I put the secure Grand Prix on top. I think there were a lot of circumstances. His future was in doubt. It was his first win. He came from way back to win it. He was doing it for a team that wasn't traditionally winning at that period of time. George Russell had a strong car and those circumstances for Mercedes in that particular, the puncture and all of that played into it. Verstappen being out certainly played into it. But I think when you're driving and you don't know what your future is going to be and that springboards you into these wins that he's had at Red Bull, that's why I put the secure Grand Prix ahead. You can disagree with that. And I wouldn't argue with you. I'm telling you, I w- this is not one of those debates where I would be, I'm going to stand on a soapbox and scream at you because I loved what I saw from him at the Singapore Grand Prix. But to me, secure Grand Prix in 2020, that to me was his best victory of his career. And he's got four wins. That's on top. All right, let's briefly touch on one of the big stories that's happening in Formula One. We'll get into this probably next week because we'll have some information coming up on Monday. There is investigation uh, that two teams went over the budget cap that was in place. Um, Aston Martin has been rumored to overspend and Red Bull has been rumored to overspend. It is not a secret. These things, uh, these rumors have been bouncing around for a while. It is going to be investigated and it's going to be looked at and there's going to be a release on Monday about it. This is a really, really big issue for Formula One because they have a budget cap for a reason and that is this sport is a big have and have not sport, right? Um, If you're a baseball fan, you kind of know it. It's like the Yankees and the Pirates and if you're an NFL fan, you know what a salary cap can do. It doesn't matter what market you're in. If you're the Green Bay Packers and you're in a small market owned by the public or you're the New York Giants in the number one market in the world, you are dealing with the same budgetary limits in terms of how you build your team and Formula One wants to get to that point where everybody is on the same page financially in terms of keeping their budget cap in line and no one is overspending anybody so that there's a competitive nature to the sport. And we're talking about facilities. We're talking about testing. We're talking about cars. We're talking about parts. We're talking about all these things. There's been this huge gap that the sport is trying to bring back together. Now, all the teams agreed to this, and if there was a breach by either one of these teams, or any team for that matter, this could result in some serious problems for those teams. They could lose points, they could have races stripped away. Those are sort of the extremes. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what will happen to these teams if it was found out that they went over the cap, but here's why this is important. If an NFL team goes over the salary cap, let's say, right, um, and they sneak some money, it you if you catch it it it's it you'd have to you could suspend the contract of the player etc but when you're spending money in development that's that's something you're not going to get back right the development is already going to take place so let's say i overspend my in my formula 1 team and i'm looking at a new aerodynamics package right let's say i the i'm going to learn a lot 
in that discovery, spending that money that you're not just going to be able to take out of my head, right? If my team using those, those extra financial resources start being able to develop other parts and others, you know, technological advances, that genie is out of the bottle. And that's why this is important for formula one. For example, it was pointed out that one of the teams may have spent overspent by uh, $7 million. And one of the principals said, that's like 70 engineers that you could hire for that amount of money at a hundred grand a piece. And 70 engineers would give you a huge advantage in development of your car and development of your race team. So when we're talking about $10 million, $5 million, $6 million, put it in some sort of context like, wait a minute, this could set you up for development after development after development in a sport that is built on the technology that you are gaining in building your cars. This isn't just hiring another linebacker or, or paying for a point guard. Like if you, if you fudge the numbers a little bit there, they could take the player and move them to another team and or just, you know, take the contract ban or suspend that particular player. But when you're talking about development, you, you're not going to unlearn what you've learned. So if you spend $5 million on some sort of technological advantage, you have that technology, technological advantage. And you did it in a way that breached the agreement of all the teams. You did it in a way that said, you, it doesn't, it's irrelevant. This, that cap belongs you. We will fudge the numbers to do it here. So you, that's why you're hearing Lewis Hamilton coming out and saying, I hope teams are absolutely punished severely for this because it was supposed to be a level playing field. It was supposed to be a competitive aspect of this sport that no one was supposed to mess with. And now they're messing with it. And so I don't know if Red Bull or Aston Martin spent Christian Horner is absolutely adamant that the numbers are going to add up and that there will be nothing to see here. But again, we will hear something on Monday. This will fly around the paddock this weekend. This will be a story this weekend. But just to give you a little bit of a primer on this, this is why it's a big deal. This is not just a player being signed like we might see in another sport. This is not that. This is... All of the development, the non-stop development the teams do to make their car better, to make the 2023 car better, to make the 2024 car better down the road, when you are putting money into technology and technological advances, you are way ahead of the field if you're overspending in that department. And that's why this is serious. This is why this is going to be a serious look for the FIA. All right. So we will have a Japanese Grand Prix review. We will also, uh, we're going to wait to see what these findings are to add it to the podcast once again thank you so much for listening please subscribe share it with your friends follow me on twitter at tony d radio we just really love the support so thank you so much i'm tony Daziri. enjoy suzuka enjoy the japanese grand prix we'll be back next week for a review of it all i'm tony Daziri. this is the overtake f1 podcast